Praise ye the Lord, praise God in his sanctuary, praise him for his mighty acts, praise him according to his excellent greatness, let everything that hath breath praise the Lord, praise ye the Lord. Let's bow our hearts and heads in sound of preparation for worship. Let us pray. We gather this evening, God, by your grace and your mercy, inheritance you've given us by your power and your might. We lift up our praise, God, for the peace and protection that we've had especially since the riots of last year, Lord. And we pray for more protection. Indeed, we pray for more love of our country and less hate of our forefathers, God, in accordance to natural revelation in the word of God, Lord. Especially in the church, that we would show the world what this means and, of course, the proper limits of it. Love of our country and our forefathers does not mean worship of them, God. Uh, That is a lie when people throw that at us, Lord. It is no different than our love for our family and our friends and our neighborhood, insofar as God, it's under uh, the greater love of you, our Lord and our Savior. So, Lord, we pray for that and more peace and protection, God, uh, by our leaders, especially locally, we pray. And we ask, Lord, for just laws to be preserved and maintained and established in this nation, both nationally and locally and across the states, God, that we would have upright leaders, Lord. We certainly pray for Christian leaders, God, but we certainly know in your providence you can give us and have given us, Lord, uh, good leaders who are not Christians, but who understand uh, what they are called to do and will do it, Lord. And this is what we pray and ask, God, even though we do not deserve it as a nation. We ask that you would stop the wickedness through your providence, Lord, through the means that you've given us, to God, that we would pray to that end and work to that end, and that uh, the wickedness in high places would be cast down and exposed to light, and that proper policies would be implemented, and those wicked policies that we've seen in the last several weeks, God, uh, would be shut down and undermined, Lord. We ask God for a just Supreme Court. They had passed, unfortunately, a number of bad precedents last year, God. We pray that they would not repeat that again this year and that they would, again, do the right thing in spite of perhaps their convictions or what they believe, Lord, but rather, Lord, we pray that they would do your holy will as revealed to us in your word. We ask, God, as your people, although we are are removed from the nitty-gritty of survival because we have been blessed in our history, Lord, so May we not forget the farmers and the animals and the food supply that we have in this nation, Lord, that you would watch over it and give them the moisture we need, especially here in Colorado, and the farmers, God, uh, and the cattlemen as well, Lord, that you would be with them and give them wisdom and give them what they need, Lord, to persevere and to help feed us and our nation, God. And we ask this evening that you would be with us this week, uh, that we would continue our vocations and callings in life, Lord, that we would work uh, well as unto the Lord, God, that. Uh, we would be productive this week, Lord, one day at a time, that we would not be overwhelmed with our responsibilities, God, uh, but take one thing one day at a time as we are able, Lord, to break down our responsibilities. Help us, Lord, to deal with them in proper proportion and always reliance upon you, God. Give us, we pray, perseverance in our walk as Christians in our sanctification, Lord, and whatever calling you've given us as a son, as a daughter, as a mother, as a father, as a citizen of this nation, Lord, and of, these, of this church. We ask, God, that you would give us a special blessing this evening uh, to be an understanding of your word and to be motivated to continue to show love for those who are close to us. In your name alone we pray. Amen. Let us turn to Zechariah 7.18, or 8, excuse me, Zechariah 7.8 and following. This is quite interesting. Uh, again, uh, it's in God's providence where we are. The text and how I believe it's relevant for us today. 
especially given the last year, as we will see. Zechariah chapter 7, verses 8 through 14. Zechariah 7, verses 8 through 14. Let us listen attentively to the word of God. Then the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Execute true justice, show mercy and compassion, everyone to his brother. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the alien or the poor. Let none of you plan evil in his heart against his brother. But they refused to heed, shrugged their shoulders, and stopped their ears so they could not hear. Yes, they made their hearts like flint, refusing to hear the law and the words which the Lord of hosts had sent by his spirit to the former prophets. Thus great wrath came from the Lord of hosts. Therefore it happened that just as he proclaimed, and they would not hear, so he called out, and I would not listen, says the Lord of hosts. But I scattered them through the whirlwind among all the nations which they had not known. Thus the land became desolate after them, so that no man passed through or returned, for they made the pleasant land desolate. Let us pray. With these words, God, we see the admonition to the forefathers and therefore indirectly admonition to the current generation of Zechariah and the punishment he gave them, Lord, and the threat upon them as well, Lord, and perhaps we are seeing in our own lifetime. Precious God and Savior, we ask that we would eschew and flee the hatred of the brethren that we've seen over the uh, last few years, even many years, God, and let us rather love the brethren of the church and of our nation. In your name alone we pray. Amen. We are neck deep in injustices in America. You hear that over and over, especially in the last year. But I am speaking of an injustice most people don't talk about, at least not those with any power or authority to promote it. It is the hatred of those closest to us, our brethren. That's what the text says, doesn't it? It says it twice at the beginning and at the end of that section where he says, execute true justice, show mercy and compassion to whom? Every man to his brother. Again, let none of you plan evil in his heart. Against whom? Against his brother. And that has been violated over and over again in spades, especially again in the last year. The first point, justice, mercy, and compassion. What are these? He tells them to do it. He tells them, by implication, not to do the opposite, not to be unjust, not to be unmerciful, without compassion. He says that by telling them to do what they're not doing. Have justice, be merciful, and have much compassion. The negative, in other words, implies the positive and vice versa. Thus says the Lord of hosts as he comes to Zechariah to talk to the people of the land before the temple is finally built after they've come after 70 years and come from Babylon to the land of their forefathers. Execute justice, show mercy and compassion, everyone to his brother. It's a common word in the Old Testament, justice or mishpat, you might have heard. Judgment or justice is the most common translation of it, but not in the way we think of those words, especially the first word, judgment, or perhaps even the second word, justice. In our American system of justice, we think of that with respect to what? The judicial branch. And we think of legislation with the legislative branch and execution of said laws by the executive branch. That is not how they thought of it in the Old Testament. And so this word, mishpat, or judgment, or justice, can also mean ordinance, custom, or manner. 
with respect to anything, both in society and in government. But especially, we think of this word as often used in the Old Testament with respect to the government, the king, the rulers, the princes, even the priests. That they are to exercise, to execute true justice and judgment, whether they are the executive branch, the legislative branch, or the judicial branch, which is all rolled up into the king, as we know, right, in the ancient Near East. Very common, even in the time of Christ, that these things were done that way. It reminds us that justice, when we also understand this word, that justice is a fifth commandment issue. When the word means ordinance, custom, or manner, where do we get our customs from? Our forefathers. Good customs we should keep, the bad customs we, th- we should throw away. With the laws and customs and the manners that we have, even our laws, many laws, although we would argue they come from the law of God, are often derivative of it and express our history, where we see that God's law is applied more especially to us in different ways by different circumstances than to other countries that have yeah, other different circumstances. We've talked about that before. And of course, the fifth commandment issue, that is the laws and the customs and the manner of living that we have been given and even promised generationally as a nation, is that which we should execute, true justice, mercy, and even compassion to those around us, especially our brothers, or our brethren. And of course, a God, our Father, is the Father of us all and the basis of the fifth commandment. We are also not only to be just or execute right judgment towards one another, but to be merciful and compassionate. We can see these as their own thing, right? To be merciful is obvious. Uh, To have bowels of compassion is the idea here. You've heard that old phrase before. It shows the intensity and the affection that we have or should have for one another. And in fact, perhaps we can say, here, execute true justice, show mercy and compassion, everyone to his brother. Perhaps mercy and compassion are put in there to emphasize its connection to justice. Perhaps we're not used to thinking of justice as an expression of compassion. We see that, of course, again, if you know the trials and tribulations of the criminal court system, you watch some of those shows on TV, and you hear that. They say, they're concerned about the criminal, what about my family? I lost a loved one. What? What are they saying? Where's your compassion? If they don't execute justice, they don't take compassion seriously, do they? And we shouldn't. So you see, naturally, again, the connection between the two. And I believe the connection is there uh, historically uh, in the Bible, whether intentional or not in this text, it certainly is there conceptually. That justice is, should be and is often an expression of compassion. Compassion for what? The right people, the victims. Right. The victims need compassion. People without compassion would be more likely to treat the helpless victims, the widows, the fatherless, the aliens, and the poor as second-class citizens. Then you see that they have no compassion because they will not give them justice. They care nothing for giving them the right judgment or even the right ordinance, custom, or manner in accordance to the fifth commandment. And it's not just compassion. It is uh, not compassion to... Of course, it is incompassionate, uncompassionate, without compassion, not to execute justice for one another. The other way of describing this is what? Hatred. Perhaps you don't think of it that way. I've mentioned this before. Uh, in our society, just as, just as we often hear and see, because we just had February 14th, right? 
love as an emotion, primarily an emotion. I'm not saying emotion shouldn't be there, but we often see love primarily as an emotion in the advertisement, in the movies, the candy, right? They see hate the same way. And so someone says, while not executing justice, like we saw, what, last year, that the police were literally standing down on their knees. Well, I didn't feel hatred. I had no feelings or emotions. Brother, you're on your knees, and they're burning the city down. That's not an expression of love. What do you call that? Indifference? It wasn't indifference because it was actually deference to the wrong people, wasn't it? And therefore, not showing love to the right people who weren't burning down the city. Called hate. Call it what it is. I don't care if their emotions were involved or not. Their actions show a lack of love. And you have one or the other. Because even indifference is a form of hatred, if you think about it. If you're indifferent to your wife, what is she going to think about that? I hope she has the right thought. Honey, what's wrong? <laughs> Are you being morally neutral towards me? I understand. You know, there's a moral neutral category. There is not a moral neutral category. It's love or hate. It may be a lesser form of hate. I grant that. There are degrees of hate, that's true. We should not blow things out of proportion and say, you're hating me, you can just say, look, you're showing a little less love. That's a nice way of saying it, right? <clears throat> well, you're indifferent, that's fine. But I would argue it's still a form of hatred. Lack of justice from brother to brother. Or, in other words, to be heartless, without compassion, without mercy. Call it heartless, don't we? And another word for that is hatred, I would argue. And that's why I have the title here, uh, Hatred of the Brethren. Or rather, we shouldn't have hatred of the brethren. But we have a description, however, of what hatred looks like. Again, on the flip side, he says, don't oppress these people, execute justice. The implication was they weren't executing justice, they weren't being compassionate, and they're just trampling all over these people. And if you remember my series on Micah, we saw how they were trampling over these people, right? Probably the same way as during the time of Micah, through economic oppression even of the middle class. They are called to be merciful and compassionate, not heartless and hateful toward the brethren, taking advantage of them, treating them as second-class citizens, not giving them justice they just deserve. The second point here, of course, is he highlights in verses um, 11 and following, and we'll get back uh, to some of the other verses before, uh, 11 and following, where they show their hatred or indifference or heartlessness, lack of compassion, of mercy, of injustice towards one another, refusing justice and mercy and compassion. But they refused, verse 11, to heed, shrug their shoulders, stop their ears, so that they could not hear. They were, what would we say, cold-hearted, right? Heartless, whatever word, other word we have. Refusing to heed God's warning, the forefathers, remember this is, uh, the Holy Spirit talking to Zechariah, to the current generation, reminding them of the prior generation, of the voice the Lord had given to them. They shrugged their shoulder, right? Whatever. Eh, what we do today. They stopped their ears. Yeah, yeah, I'm not listening. Don't, don't want to hear it. And they hardened their hearts. They made their hearts like flint. Verse 12. Refusing, again, to hear the law and the words which the Lord of hosts had sent through the Spirit to the former prophets. So how we know it was prior, the prior generation. Flint hearts, they were cold-hearted, hard-hearted against the cries of the oppressed, that they themselves were oppressing. They cared not. What a sorry sight. 
What a sorry sight. Not distracted, think about it. Not disinterested, not indifferent, but cold-hearted like flint towards those crying out for mercy and compassion and justice. Imagine a neighborhood, living in a neighborhood. This is more like a dream these days, isn't it? The way uh, we're forced sometimes to move so often. Living with somebody. Living with a bunch of somebodies. Your neighbors for 25, 30 years, 40 years. Going to the same school. Growing up together. Playing in the same yard. Having the same jobs when you were a teenager. Knowing the women and the men who married each other. And their children grow up with your children. But over the years, he becomes more distant. Your neighbors. More indifferent. More flints of their heart. So they finally have outright hostility, planning evil in their heart, verse 10, to make sure that you are censored on social media and so you have no influence, your church has no influence. They want to make sure you pay extra taxes for reparations, perhaps, and force your kids to public schools, or whatever it is. Like, have you no compassion? You were with these people for so You grew up together. What's your problem? You can see the intimacy. And then when you turn on that int- intimacy, how serious the sin is, right? You're like, what is wrong with you? I thought we were best buds. Or at least good neighbors for 25, 30, 40 years. What is going on here? This isn't compassion and mercy, let alone justice. Something's fundamentally wrong. I wanted to highlight that because sometimes you read this kind of going, this seems so far away and distant. No, this, these are supposed to be, it's a small community. Israel's not large, brothers and sisters. It was never large. At most, two, two and a half million came out of Egypt. And I'm sure they grew, but they also went to war and died and got slaughtered. And then they shrunk some more. They went off to the seven years of captivity. And many didn't even come back to the nation. So it became even smaller. That's actually a little smaller than Denver now. Two and a half million. So across that land... <laughs> And they showed this hostility, this cold-heartedness, this hatred towards their fellow neighbors. Notice how I said fellow neighbors, not fellow man. I say that because today we hear fellow man and it means some stranger halfway across the world. This, no, I mean someone you rub shoulders with day in and day out. This is what the text is talking about. That's what Micah was talking about, as a matter of fact. That's how small the communities were back then. Don't forget that. In other words, he's saying, don't be like your forefathers, refusing to hear the law and the words of the Lord of hosts who tells you to love your neighbor. This is another way of saying, love your neighbor. Don't hate them. We today, of course, need reminders of our forefathers. They're good, that's true, and they're bad. We know if they're bad. We know, we were taught, our heroes had feet of clay, we say. And we tried to learn collectively, even as a nation, of those errors. You can learn these things without bad-mouthing them and learn from our forefathers. Again, this also reminds us of God's concern and also his gentleness and how he rebukes that current generation. He doesn't just hammer them. He just says, remember what I did to them? Hint, hint, right? So it's a milder rebuke, but it's still a rebuke. And we need that sometimes today as well. And certainly to learn from our forefathers. God says, learn from history. I've given you history. <laughs> you can see what's wrong. Back then, one of the advantages of reading history and of learning history is they had different uh, blinders than we do today. And so we can read from their stuff and 
learn perhaps where our blinders are, even as we see where their blinders were. <clears throat> because it was a different time. So, the warning that he's given them, the warning uh, to the people to refuse, that not to refuse justice, mercy, and compassion. Do not oppress, is the other way of saying it. Do not oppress. So we'll go back uh, here to verse 10 to unpack a little more of justice for the helpless, or do not oppress the helpless, because this is the description here. Uh, the widow, the fatherless, the alien, and the poor are the general categories of the helpless, more or less. They don't have clouts and influence or even money often. It's a common refrain to speak of the widow, the fatherless, and the poor, or the widow, the fatherless, the alien, and the poor. Uh, those refrains or something like that is used 11 times alone in the book of Deuteronomy let alone the rest of the Old Testament. So we read in Deuteronomy 27, 19, Cursed is the one who perverts the justice due to the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow. And all the people shall say, Amen. Now the widow, of course, what that means in that society is you, you lost your husband, and it means it's harder work for you. It's just harder. Economically, physically, emotionally. And so they're at a disadvantage. And women have been historically up until perhaps the last 50 to 100 years in the West, where if you lost your husband and you're on a farm, how much more work do you have to do? Remember, the man typically, even a scrawny man, has three times more upper body strength than a woman. He can do the work a lot longer than she can. She's not going to be very prosperous, is she? She'll be more helpless economically and taken advantage of. The fatherless, the same thing, they lose a father. It means poverty for most kids. Today, however, we don't think of the widow or the fatherless very often because we are so wealthy, even if it's artificial wealth. I know we have a lot of debt, but whatever you call it, it's still they can get away with it, right? And people can get away with not having a husband and having children out of wedlock. So they're fatherless, essentially, right? The children are fatherless. And we're told it's okay because what's important in America is money and economic prosperity. Well, you always hear from one party all the time, look how good the market's doing. Oh, no, the gas prices are up. You're like, dude, there's more to life than money. Like, why our children are growing up without their fathers? Even in the churches, unfortunately, at times. And they don't seem to care. We try to help as best we can. No one that seems to take, consider, take to take, no one seems to take seriously the social effects of growing up without a father, for example. And I've gone over this in Sunday school class, as you recall. It makes a difference. Just broken families, not a mother or a father. It makes a difference in the kids, and they've seen it for decades. Yeah, I don't see what, what politician is making a rallying cry. I mean, without a family, if they're growing up and they're broken all the time, that's going to affect the economy. They're going to be poor, they're not going to be well-educated, they're going to be perhaps rebellious, and all these other bad social effects. You don't think that's going to affect the rest of us? Of course it will, and we're seeing it now. But since America, as I said, is all about money, fatherless, and the fatherless can get a job and often considered, and often are not considered a protected class. It's kind of interesting. The fatherless are not considered a protected class, at least the last I checked, right? You don't see them. Laws for them, perhaps, maybe somewhere, but certainly not in the media, certainly not by the power play of the politicians, right? People with influence and power. They don't consider, they kind of think of it as a source of pride in some cases. I grew up in a broken home and it was great. Not great. It's not good. So these are the helpless. To be a widow or a father has been that way, and is even today, even if you can't.
can be prosperous and a single mom and make a good living and make good money, right? Without having to break your back on a farm. But without a father or without a mother, it, it affects you, doesn't it? It affects the children. We don't think of it that way because we're very materialistic. The alien, um, I've mentioned this before a few times. There's two different words for alien in Hebrews. This one's the gar uh, word, to live among people who are not blood relatives and therefore therefore dependent upon the native population. So they're helpless in that sense. They're helpless insofar as they don't have all the rights of the local citizenry in, in Israel at the time. They had some, but they certainly had obligations, which is something that could be talked about you know, in the American scene today, obligations. The obligations to attend a part of the Jewish ceremonial worship, in fact, the reading of the law, for example, to submit to the Sabbath law, for example, to show fidelity to the Lord, which of course means fidelity to the Lord's people and the land, because it was all of one piece, wasn't it? In fact, again, it wasn't unique in Israel. All of the ancient Near East, and of course, the vast majority of the nations, even up to today, and a lot of third world countries, religion and the loyalty to the religion is loyalty to the nation, to the people. And the Jews essentially considered the aliens these particular aliens, long-term aliens as opposed to short-term, we're just here to sell some money and leave, uh, aliens, to be considered proselytes. Which is, again, an interesting way of looking at uh, aliens, legal aliens in this case. Deuteronomy 28.43 we read, The stranger that is within thee, that is among thee, shall go up above thee very high, and thou shalt come down very low. That's under the curses of the covenant that if you're not taking my law seriously, then you will be ruled by aliens and foreigners. The poor. The poor, obviously, don't, are pretty helpless in that regard, uh, at the mercy in many regards with respect to the rich, or today, uh, the lending laws and the way the lending's done often. Unfortunately, you call up uh, you know, retirees and old people and say, hey, I got this great deal for you, and, and rip them off, those kind of things, because they feel so desperate, struggling. And it's easy for us to say, perhaps, or we were, we were raised this way, right? Well, they should just know better. As you get older, you slow down. You may even get more emotional. They're being taken advantage of, brothers and sisters. They're not in their prime anymore. And the same thing probably happened back then. And so the poor, uh, anyone that's not a widow, fatherless, or an alien, essentially, one of the biggest, biggest problems they had, of course, was the rich could buy off the judges. Or today, the courts. We, we just saw a, a movie, uh, uh, what, The Saint TV series. You can find that on TubiTV.com. And uh, we were watching one of the episodes of some mafia guy who always bought off the jury, right? Always always buying off the jury behind the scenes. He was never there. All the witnesses were saying, oh, we were playing poker with them, that kind of stuff. It was not just today. It was going on during the time of Israel. And that's one of the biggest complaints you see about the poor Show justice to the poor doesn't mean make them rich. It's usually the specific category of the judicial branch, we would say today, that is in the court, law courts, you shouldn't look at the poor and say, hey buddy, you don't have enough money, no justice for you. That's what it's talking about. Or, suppression of wages. Another example of today, uh, by manipulation of the laws, of lies, or the border. Uh, one of the examples that came to my mind was Amazon was caught last year copying products off the resellers from their own website. 
and sold them off as cheaper, cheaper knockoffs. They just want money so badly. They're already making hand, you know, hand over fist. Jeremiah 22, 13, Woe to him who builds his house by unrighteousness and his chambers by injustice, who uses his neighbor's service without wages. They stole the plans and copied it and ran off with it. That's the system we have today anyways, and, gave, and gives him nothing for his work. And this reminds us here, as I touched upon the widow and the fatherless and how they are related today, of uh, the alien, I didn't talk a lot about uh, that today, and of course the poor, and I gave some illustrations. And here I want to sp- spend a little more time on the brethren, specifically hatred of the brethren. Because that's what the text is pushing against, right? Show compassion and mercy to his brother. Verse 9. Verse 10. Let none of you plan evil in his heart against his brother. He says it twice. The brother, twice. In Romans one thirty-one, we have an interesting word that I ran across while reading Bollinger's uh, Decades, collection of lectures, uh, ten lectures each, five groups of ten, fifty Decades. In which he goes over the Ten Commandments, and one of them, of course, is the Fifth Commandment. Under the Fifth Commandment, he points out Romans one thirty one, And I never saw this before. I'd never even heard of it before. Without natural affection. And that list of sins, right? They hate their parents, they're breaking covenants, they're unrighteous, they're murderers, they're backbiters, right? The whole long list at the end of Romans 1 about wickedness across the world. And one of the words in that list of wickedness is without natural affection, that is, especially towards those of your family or in-group. And you heard this Wednesday night, astorge is the word. Astorge is to have affection or a compassion and justice and mercy and, <laughs> and love towards those of your near you, your in-group, or especially your family. Astorge, the A word, you know, remember the A word, against or to cut down undermined, astorge, against, or anti, without natural affection. And it's natural affection. Unbelievers have this affection towards their family and their children, towards their best friends, and towards their nation. Hatred of the brethren is mentioned twice here because astorge is a serious sin. Probably don't think of it this way because, again, we live in a day and age in which astorge, or Without natural affection, it seems so, uh, it doesn't seem very strong when you read it that way, right? Without natural affection. What do you call that? If, if you don't have the actual, if you don't have affection for your wife and for your children, don't you think it's kind of a big deal? I hope you do. Call that hate. What's wrong with you, right? What's, what's the problem here? You know that. And so without natural affection, that's a straight-out good translation. It's not very strong in the English. This is very strong, though, because it's natural. Even the unbelievers love those close to them. And we're reminded of that, for example, when Paul says what? If you don't work, you're worse than an infidel. You're worse than the unbeliever, the pagans in the world. But they know better. They know they're supposed to work for a living. What's your problem, Christian? You see that? Same thing here. God takes the hatred of the brethren seriously. He takes indifference towards the brethren seriously. Thus, great wrath, we read in the text here, verse 12, came from the Lord of hosts. Therefore it happened that just as he proclaimed, and they would not hear, so he 
And so they called out, and I would not listen, God said. They're not going to hear the cries of the poor, of the alien, of the widow and the fatherless, and of the brethren twice. I'm not going to hear their cries. That's the punishment. Often God has this poetic punishment, doesn't he? The father disciplined his children, his people, for lack of compassion and affection for the helpless, for their own brethren. Because, you know, the widow and the fatherless, who are those in the Old Testament? That's right, Jews, right? They're brethren. So that's a special class of brethren. Who are the poor? They're brethren. He wasn't talking about the poor in Egypt, was he? He was talking about Jewish brethren. And, of course, the alien, of course, was not a Jew, but a proselyte, virtually as a Jew in many ways. He did a lot of the religious ceremonies. It would be like having adherents in our church who are taking us seriously, and we take them seriously. It should be a mutual agreement that way when it comes to foreigners. Take each other seriously. Brethren, you're called to take it seriously and to love the brethren. And the brethren, of course, uh, I'll get, that, get to there in a second here what that means, but I'll tell you right now, it doesn't just mean religiously, it means naturally as well. Right? Your family. You should love your parents even if they aren't believers. You should love them more than you love a stranger, even though they're not believers. Ever thought about that? I think you do it naturally. Work hard for them. You put you put up you put up a lot with your family members. I'm talking about your parents, but you know your your siblings or your or your own children, your aunts and your uncles, because they're your flesh and blood. There's something significant about that, right? It's that natural affection, storge. Maybe we don't have a good English word for that. <clears throat> love is very broad in general. Love, a love of those close to you. God continues to describe how much that displeased him. Not showing love to the brethren generally, nor love to those particular brethren, right? The fatherless, the widow, and the poor. But I scattered them with a whirlwind among all the nations which they had not known. And so 70 years of captivity in a foreign land among a foreign people for not loving their own. See the connection there? You're going to be ruled by foreigners. You're going to be surrounded by foreigners because you could handle your own people, those close to you, those you should show love and have compassion instead of trampling all over them. Justice, mercy, and compassion for the brethren, the third point. And so, I mostly emphasize here in the second point, right, they refuse justice, they refuse compassion, and so I went over a storge, or without natural affection. Here I will cover storge. Storge, or compassion, or love for those close to you, should include justice, mercy, compassion, and even preference. If a storge is a sin, then storge must be a righteous act, right? <laughs> it's the flip side. All the sins have opposites. The righteous, the, the affection or love for one's own, especially your family or in-group. It's the law of nature. Even higher order animals take care of their own brood and tribe and are not strangers to one another that way. But we in America have been told that money and abstract ideas are more important than affections to those close to us. Think about it. Perhaps you haven't. I'll leave that there for you. The Old Testament Jews bought into that line as well. <laughs> and so they were buying off and ripping off and destroying the middle class, as we saw in Micah, for example. And here it doesn't get very specific. That's why I keep going back to Micah. It was, it was so specific in those books. It was a book of the Bible, right? It was so amazing how detailed it was with respect to the economic uh, iniquities upon God's people, upon the brethren. Justice for the brethren. Justice for the brethren. The word brethren, as I said, is natural relations primarily. That's how the word is used. Don't read into it 
our spiritualization that we sometimes fall into in the New Testament. We talk, we call it one another with brethren, that's true. That exists then as well. But the word brother almost always is referring to a natural relation in the Old Testament. That's its primary usage. Um, it is, uh, in this case, of course, all descendants of Abraham and Jacob. Uh, other Jews were considered friends, neighbors, or brothers. And those words are almost interchangeable at times. Israelites were not supposed to take advantage, of course, of the distress of other Israelites or neighbors or brothers. Leviticus, this passage, and elsewhere. So it's primarily social. The word brother, but not only. They did not seem to care that they had special cords of relations with those close to them. Another way of looking at it is this. Which is worse? Telling off a stranger or telling off your mother? Do you have to answer that? And so all this talk about, oh, you know, the humanity and everyone's made in the image of God. One thing, the image of God is fallen. You're all made in the image of fallen God outside of Christ, right? It's fallen. That should make a significant difference in our rhetoric. And secondly, what does that do with the price of tea in China? Yes, I should not tell him off, but I tell you, it's not as bad a sin as telling off your mother. Why is that? Because that's that story. That's that natural affection we ought to have for them over a stranger. If you have to choose between a stranger and a mother, you better choose your mother. Now, what are we told in America? Do I have to answer that? You're not told to choose your mother anymore, are you? You chose to choose a stranger and his money, perhaps, or something else. Storge has been trampled all over in our nation. And therefore, justice for the brethren, compassion and mercy has been trampled upon. Can you see that? And so as I finish here, to show you some hatred today, (laughs) illustrate some hatred today. (laughs) As I pointed out, oppressing the widow, the fatherless, and the poor is bad, but doubly bad, triply bad, quadruply bad, when the widow, the fatherless, and the poor are your own family members. And I already pointed out with Paul, uh, anyone provide not for his own, he's worse than an infidel. With respect to culture, and that word storge is used, with respect to culture, we would call that patriotism or love for your nation, a proper proportional love, of course. And if we look carefully today, we see the opposite of that all over the place. Love for strangers, but hatred towards your family, towards your friends, and towards fellow Americans. That's what we're seeing. If you've not seen it, I hope you see it now. From this lens, and this perspective, from this biblical word. Not used positively. It's interesting, in the New Testament, you only see the negative, astorge, astorge, twice. There was a positive, we saw that in Romans 12, where uh, phileo was added to the word to make it intensive amongst the Christians and brothers in the Lord. In Chicago, here's a good illustration. In Chicago, a large bakery was more interested in money than in justice and compassion for their fellow American. The feds caught them using illegals. All 800 were kicked out by the feds. That's a lot of workers. 800. In one factory. That's just the one we know. So the bakery was forced to do what? Oh, that's right. Pay $14 an hour more instead of 10 All the humanity. Because there was no storge. There was no affection for their fellow man. Their fellow man. I, I'm already talking like them. Their fellow American. Distinctions make a difference. They're important. They ought to be first. The company made billions in profits and gave... Billions to the CEO while giving more minimum wage and longer hours to the workers 
Would you call that love? Call that. Perhaps a storge. If politicians passed laws for cheap foreign labor while the average worker made less and less compared to their parents while housing and medical prices continue to rise, is that love? Covered some of that, as you recall, in Sunday school class. If you don't know, ask me after worship. If religious leaders condemn people for their social and ethnic makeup but give favor to other groups, is that love? We are seeing this in real time. Estorge is everywhere. If we slow down and look, it's terrible. Don't do it. Loving your own, loving your family, loving your neighbors, loving your nation doesn't mean you hate everyone else. It just means you put them first. I hope you put them first. Because God was not pleased with Israel not putting them first. We are neck deep in injustice in America. It is an injustice most people do not talk about, at least not those with any power or authority. The next time justice or mercy is brought up in your hearing, perhaps you can start talking about love of our neighbor, the concrete neighbor like your family and those near you, and affection for those close to us as a moral imperative by our covenant-keeping God, because it is. Let us take heed and work to support and love our brethren, not only in the church, but around us. In your name alone, we pray, God above. Amen. Let us pray. Help us, God, we pray to that end, to flee being without natural affection and love and prioritization and consideration and compassion and mercy and justice for those closest to us. Our God, may we pursue it greater than we pursue justice for strangers, which seems to be reversed on its head these days. Help us, God, we pray, to put things in proper proportion as you have shown us in this text to have love and compassion for the brethren, whoever they may be in our lives. In your name alone we pray. Amen. In the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be upon you all. Amen.